When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Blue Noise. This is a Birmingham City podcast from Birmingham Live. I'm Steve Wollaston and I'm joined in our studio today by our man at Blues, Brian Dick. Brian, hi, hi, Steve. How are you? You alright? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks, mate. Uh, we, we let the younguns have a go at this last week, didn't we? But, uh, you know, with the second episode, it's time for you to uh, share your pearls of wisdom on all things uh, Blues. Yeah, I'd hate to add up their combined age and uh, we'll move on with that, shall we? Um... We've got a bit of a treat, haven't we? You've uh, recently been out and done a, quite a lengthy interview with uh, a bit of a legend, haven't you? Do you want to just tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, spent uh, a morning in the company of none other than Trevor Francis, probably the the biggest and certainly most high-profile name associated with Birmingham City throughout their history. Uh, he was, I think it's fair to say, he had some reluctance about wanting to look to dig too far into his past, but uh, once we got once we got talking, he was uh, he really warmed to the theme, and it was really interesting to hear his thoughts about his pl- his playing career, which obviously belonged in a bygone era, and but also his management of the club in the 90s as well. He was very reflective about that, so some uh, hopefully everyone will enjoy that because uh, there were some really interesting points he made. Uh, talking about management, obviously there's a new manager in town. Um, just give us before we move on to the Trevor Francis stuff, just give us your kind of early impressions of Gary Monk. What's he been like to deal with? You know, have you had any, uh, you know, decent kind of correspondence with him? Yeah, he's he's been very personable. Um, I had a quick chat with him uh, just as he was leaving St Andrews after the Middlesbrough game on his on his first, uh, which was his first game, um, and then he stayed around after the press conference on Thursday uh, to preview the Cardiff game. He stayed around and, and had a chat with us all as well. He cl- clearly reaching out, che- clearly trying to make make some connections. Uh, when the tapes go on, it's uh, it's it's business though, and he has his he has his three or four uh, points that he wants to get across, and, and he certainly underlines those in in bold. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I feel from a little bit into in terms of the the quality of the opposition he's he's had to face so far. Uh, but he's he's saying many of the right things, and I do feel as that there's a more positive air around the club at um, at the moment. Okay, well, without further ado, let's get on to. Uh... You and Trevor Francis sharing a breakfast and talking all things blues. So I'm here with one of the, uh, probably the biggest name in, in Birmingham City history, Trevor Francis. Um, we're here to launch our podcast, Trevor, and also to uh, look back at your twin-pronged career with Birmingham City, both as a player and as, as a manager. I want to take you back to the, the very beginning, as a 15-year-old, when, when you first set foot into the into the world of Birmingham City. What, what were your very earliest memories as a, as a young man coming up from Plymouth? It was particularly difficult for me leaving home at 15 because um, I had a very happy upbringing in Plymouth. Um, my mother and father, brother and sister, were all quite sad when I left home. But I uh, agreed with 
Mr Don Dorman, who was the chief scout at Birmingham City, that every three weeks I would be allowed to travel back uh, on the train from New Street on a Saturday evening after I had played um, to see my family uh, with an agreement that I'd return on the Thursday. <clears throat> and that continued for almost a year. Um, but then things had to change after one year. Uh, the, the reason they had to change was because, um, I say surprisingly, uh, you know, 16 years of age is a very young age to actually be in the first team. Uh, when you're training with the first team and you're needed uh, for important games on a Saturday, it's slightly different to going home to Plymouth and then coming back to play a youth game. So that stopped, but um, it didn't stop me seeing my family because um, they were keen followers of my progress. And uh, they used to make that long trip from Plymouth up to Birmingham. And in some cases, you know, playing away, they would go up to, you know, to places like Blackpool and Blackburn to watch me play. They enjoyed their football, um, but it took its toll. I mean, you know, my dad at times uh, used to come off, uh, he was a shift worker for the Southwestern Gas Board, he used to come off work at uh, 7 o'clock in the morning, come home, have a shower and uh, have a bit of tea and toast, and then drive uh, six hours or seven hours up to, up to Birmingham. Uh, bearing in mind in them days, there was no M5. Um, they would watch the match, have a cup of tea with me after the game and then drive back. But they were great followers of, uh, of myself and Birmingham City Football Club. You clearly wouldn't have been a typical 15-year-old 15, 15 or 16-year-old. What, what was it like managing, being the, 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 the wonder boy and also being a young man finding his way in the world? Um, they were wonderful times. You know, I'm often associated, uh, you know, with uh, struggles at Birmingham City. That's true. You know, we didn't always have a particularly good team, but they were memorable days. And I'll always be indebted to Birmingham City uh, and Freddie Goodwin, especially for giving me my opportunity. Um, you know, walking down the street and being recognised by, uh, you know, youngsters, uh, not necessarily youngsters. Um, you know, people stopping me, wanting autographs. Um, I was receiving, uh, you know, headlines in them days, and, uh, you know, I was quite high profile. Mm. Um, was it a problem? Did it affect me? I think the answer was undoubtedly no. Uh, the reason I say that is because of my upbringing. I was always very level-headed, never got too uh, carried away. I think anyone that knew me uh, and still knows me would always say that, um, you know, throughout my footballing career, I've never had a big head. You know, I've always been down to earth. Um, I've had some magical moments and I've thoroughly enjoyed, you know, my uh, long distinguished career. But I always look back with great fondness at those early days as a 16-year-old superboy. You know, they were great times. Mm. Was it it, it must have felt slightly odd to you that you'd, you'd be scoring four in one match one week and clean, cleaning, your, cleaning your teammates' boots the, ne the next day. Was, was that literally how it was at times? In That's how days? it was. Um, you know, it's, it's um, peculiar when you think along those lines now because it's so different. Um, but I think that it was an important part of my upbringing as a, as a, a young apprentice footballer, being uh, told to do these kind of things. Friday afternoon... 
uh, sometimes that changed slightly. I was allowed to leave at two o'clock and to go home to get a little bit of rest. I was given preferential treatment, but you're absolutely right. You know, scoring four goals, then on the Monday morning, going out and uh, sweeping the Tilton, you know, with a brush and cleaning up all the paper and you know, teacups and coffee cups. Um, cleaning the manager's car, washing the baths in the dressing room, uh, cleaning the boots, uh, mopping the floor, all part of being an apprentice and all part of being a 16-year-old footballer. Mm. Whose boots, do, whose boots did you, were you responsible for? Well, I always remember um, ringing uh, my mother and father to tell them that um, I've been given uh, the honour of cleaning Trevor Hockey's football boots. Uh, Trevor was a particular favourite of mine at the time and um, it was such a, a pleasure to clean his boots. I think we all had three pairs, I can't remember the other guy's boots, but definitely Trevor Hockey. But things were so different then. You know, I didn't change, you know, with my first team colleagues. I was in with, you know, the youth team and, uh, and if you went into the first team dressing room, you actually knocked on the door to get permission to go in. Even if you are in the team? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's all about you know discipline, you know, at a young age, and um, that's what was instilled into us. And uh, I think it was quite nice, you know, to look up to you know your seniors and have respect for them. I think that kind of respect is unfortunately gone out of out of football and gone out of life in society in in in, in society in general. As you grew into the team and became one of the one of the senior players, was was it as much fun then? You carried more responsibility. People looked to you more. To what kind of age are you talking about now? I'm thinking when you're an established first team player. You'd have still been a young man, of course, 20, 21, 22. I was established at 17. That's yeah. the problem. Yes. I mean, at 16, uh, I was, you know, given, uh, you know, um, games off where Freddie Goodwin rested me. But by the time I became 17, I, I was a, an established first team player. Um, you know, we gained promotion in 1972. And, uh, you know, I would have been, uh, what would I have been then, 18 years of age. Um, you know, some, some memorable times then. I'll never forget the, the match that clinched uh, promotion. It was down at Brisbane Road against uh, Leighton Orient. And, um, you know, it wasn't a particularly big ground. It was a midweek game. I think we won the game 1-0 and Bob Latchford scored the goal. But what stands out in my mind is the incredible following that... Uh, you know, came with us down the M1. I mean, the crowd was 33,000, I believe, and 25,000 came from Birmingham, uh, a small uh, contingent of Orient or Leighton Orient supporters were at the game, and a few Millwall supporters because they were the team that were challenging us for promotion. Uh, but it was a memorable night, and, uh, you know, you look back on occasions like that, you know, gaining promotion and giving us the opportunity then to play in the big league. Can I fast forward? <laughs> several hundred appearances and, and <coughs> many, many, many goals later and, and the time comes for you to move on to Nottingham Forest. You were, I think, as a footballer, ready for that that move. Yeah. Was it, was it as, a, as, a, as a lover of Birmingham City, was it was it a bittersweet or a hard <coughs> moment for you? Well, I was then, uh, you know, a, a full England international and when you go away with, uh, you know, players on you know, on England duty, and they're talking about, you know, playing with the likes of Manchester, with Manchester United and Liverpool and Arsenal, some of the great teams. 
you know, and I was still, you know, with Birmingham City, I felt that, you know, with respect to Birmingham City, it wasn't helping me as a footballer, uh, you know, to, to improve. I wanted to play with better players. I wanted to play with uh, a stronger team that gave me an opportunity, you know, to, to hopefully win things. <coughs> so I tried for a few years, you know, to leave Birmingham City, um, but it, things were slightly different in them days. It wasn't straightforward mm. like it is now. I mean, if you, you know, want to leave uh, with agents and whatever, you know, you can you can manufacture uh, a deal uh, very very quickly, mm. but not in in the days when I was playing in, in the seventies. But I always remember Jim Smith coming in, <coughs> who was a promising uh, young manager, and he called me into his office and he said, um, "I know the situation with regard to yourself." Um, you know, he stressed how well he wanted to do at Birmingham City, and he wanted me to play a part. Um, and he said, um, "I want your word." He said that, you know, you give me six months, and if things after Christmas haven't particularly improved, then I would do everything I can to get you away. Mm -hmm. And I said, Jim, you will have my word. I'm a word. Of, I'm a man of uh, integrity. I uh, respect your honesty. I've never been in this situation before, you know, where I've, I will be given this opportunity. Um, I thank you, but rest assured, I will give you everything. And he actually called me in just after Christmas and said, you know, let's let's try and you know get a deal done. Mm -hmm. But even though they tried to get a deal done, um, they didn't make it particularly easy because they insisted. On it being a million pound and nothing less, you know, so it kind of narrowed the field quite a bit. I mean, there were a number of clubs who were very interested in, you know, acquiring my services, but a million pound was actually double, you know, the, the, the transfer fee, the, the biggest transfer fee, which was I think David Mills, five hundred thousand. But I consider myself fortunate that of the two clubs who were interested, one being Coventry, who actually put up a financial package that was. Uh, very very uh, good. Nottingham Forest um, was the club. Once I heard they were interested, um, I had absolutely no doubts. That's where I wanted to go because at the time, you know, they were the only team who could compete with Liverpool. They had a charismatic manager in Brian Clough. They had international players. They were on the up. They'd just won the league. Um, you know, it seemed the perfect move for me. I hope you'll forgive me for fast-forwarding through the rest of what was a, what was a magnificent playing career, yeah. to the point where you 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 have that grey area where you're a player and a manager, and then then, then you become a full-time manager. Yeah, lots of success at Sheffield Wednesday. Then, then there's a, there was a year out. Am I right in saying a year out of the game doing pundit or doing punditry yeah. work? Yeah. And then suddenly the opportunity to to come back to St Andrews. Can you remember the circumstances and, the, and, and those early conversations and, and your feelings as to I could, I could be coming back to the club that I represented for so yeah. long? I think most people in football, certainly Birmingham City supporters, always felt that that was probably my destiny, you know, to come back as a Birmingham City manager. I was hoping that would prove to be correct. And that opportunity came along when uh, at the end of that season you're talking about, uh, Birmingham City weren't doing particularly well. Uh, 
Barry Fry was the manager and the club were having a bit of a lean time and uh, I got the opportunity you know to come and manage and uh, I was also given the opportunity to bring in my own staff which was quite important and it was a wonderful moment you know I did I have reservations about it not too many but one or two simply because I think only those supporters who were around in the, the early 70s who saw the impact that I made as a 16 year old that we've already spoken about and the incredible relationship between you know me as a, a footballer and the supporters uh, would understand <clears throat> you know just the feeling the bond that we had you know I liken it possibly to like Kevin Keegan when he went back to Newcastle or even Alan Shearer you know it was just incredible you know they helped me to achieve things Birmingham City supporters that I would never have even considered I'll give you a quick example I'm digressing here but you know there was one home game against Blackpool when we had a free kick uh, I mean I'm not exaggerating it was between 35 and 40 yards from goal and you know I was going to clip the ball you know into the box you know for one of the big centre halves uh, but the, 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 the cop were encouraging me to shoot and they were, I could hear them saying shoot shoot anyway I took a run up hit it as true as I could and it literally flew into the back of the net that's an example of supporters you know helping me you know they gave me the inspiration and the confidence to try anything and that's an example there so <coughs> those those wonderful years you know I cemented a relationship that would never ever hopefully be tarnished but I risked doing it yeah. when I came back as a Birmingham City manager and that's the one area that I was a little bit fearful of but I thought well I've got to back myself you know I can't not take this opportunity you know when you go into management you always believe in whatever club you're at that you're going to do better than the previous manager mm. regardless of who he is so I went in there gave it everything and after five and a half years as manager of Birmingham City I would like to think that I came out with my head held high and I had not tarnished anything you know from what had been achieved over a nine-year playing career mm. um, you know I think I'm right in saying that you know Birmingham City supporters well not I think I know you know wherever I go throughout the world but obviously more so in the West Midlands um, you know the um, the relationship is still so so strong you know between Trevor Francis and Birmingham City football supporters and that gives me enormous pleasure mm. how do you look back at that time I think many people from the outside in would have said it was it was a fantastic ride but yeah the cup final but the, the penalty yeah. shootouts in the playoffs uh, <coughs> what, what's the overriding emotion for you um, one of nearly being very successful um, it's a strange thing you know that when you get into the playoffs you know it's the end of a it's not just the season of the playing season it's the six weeks build up to, to the start of the season when you're working and you're working from day one 
you know, probably the first of July, you know, to to the early part of May, you know, when the season ends, <coughs> for the gold to get into the you know the Premier League, and when you get into the playoffs, it's a successful season. But then ten days later, after you've played the two legs, it's regarded as failure when you uh, when you don't get to the final. <coughs> My time at Birmingham City, uh, I had three of those, you know, in the three semi-finals, obviously six games I played, I won three and lost three, but never got into the final. Yeah. So, um, <coughs> disappointment, um, the final against Liverpool was, you know, I look back at that as, as you know, slightly unjust, you know, it's often spoken about. You know, we did very, very well against a strong Liverpool side. We were very much the underdogs, but we took it all the way to penalties and, you know, could have had another penalty in extra time, you know, when Andrew Johnson was fouled. And it's what could have been, but no recriminations about that because I think when you're playing against Liverpool, we were very much second best, but didn't show that on the day. We gave a great account of ourselves. My disappointment is that I didn't get the team into the Premier League. Mm. That's what I came here for. I had enough opportunities, um, you know, and didn't quite achieve it. What was the missing injury? I, I know we're talking about the 1% that didn't happen and, and fo not focusing on the 99% that was good, but what was the missing ingredient? It's difficult to actually say what was the one ingredient. It's often said by football supporters that I wasn't given... Uh, sufficient backing from the owners. Um, I've got my thoughts on that. I, the last thing I'm going to do now, after all these years, is to have, uh, <coughs> you know, have myself criticising. I think I was given a fair opportunity. Mm -hmm. The only thing I would have said is that, you know, the one thing I could never get from the owners was, I would like to have worked with a budget. You know, whatever the budget was, whether it was zero or, you know, 20 million, at least at the start of the season, I know what the situation, and I can manage it accordingly. <clears throat> but they never did business like that. They they worked from day to day. So there were occasions when I wanted to strengthen. There wasn't the money there. Well, it was there, but they didn't give it. And then on another occasion, they would surprisingly give me some money. So, no, but listen... Uh, you know, they did their best, I did my best, and there's no criticism of the owners. The one little area that I look back on, and you can talk about good fortune, bad luck, and I didn't have a lot of, I mean, Jasper often says, like, you know, that, um, you know, you had a lot of luck as a manager. Unfortunately, it was all bad, <laughs> which is true. You know, I didn't have much luck in them playoffs. I mean, that ridiculous result, you know, losing at home to Barnsley. I mean, I had a very good, strong defence. And to lose, I think it was, I mean, Dave Bassett was my mate from my days in Sheffield when we were, you know, opponents. You know, he was United, I was Wednesday. They came that day to get a nil-nil. They beat us 4-0, didn't they? Yeah, that was my worst ever result as a Birmingham City manager. And it would be in a semi-final. The one little area... Um, I never really, and it's probably because I was a goal scorer myself, I never really got myself um, 
a consistent penalty box goal scorer. I tried, you know, with various players who all had their attributes. They all contributed to, you know, some great football. I mean, we played some good football. We're an exciting team. I mean, on two occasions, we went away from home and scored seven goals against Port Vale and against um, Stoke. Sorry, Stoke and uh, against Oxford. Yeah. yeah, you know, and we had some, you know, great times, but there was never that goal scorer. I mean, I took Tony Cotty on loan, and he scored one or two, I think, goals, and you could see uh, the predator in him. You could see the movement in the penalty box. You know, uh, I could never quite get that player. Um, that's the only, you know, disappointment. But I, I don't have many. No, no. Were you, were you pleased when Steve took them up six months later? <clears throat> I was I was pleased because I'll always be a Birmingham City supporter. But I watched the game, and it was <clears throat> predominantly my team. Steve added two or three players, which uh, you know obviously helped, you know, to make it a little bit stronger. And I was pleased for Steve also because he was one of my first signings. And you feel an extra, you know, bond towards, well, I do anyway, I don't know about other managers, to someone who has uh, been one of my signings. And I see him, you know, ma managing the football club and getting them into the Premier League where I wanted them to be. Having said that, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I've always been one who's been very, very open and very, very honest. I think most, you know, people in the media would would agree with that. And I'm not going to sit here now and say that I wasn't a little bit um, envious, not jealous, envious, because I wished that. I'm happy that Steve did it, but I wished it was me. Okay, well, that was uh, the morning I spent with Trevor Francis. Really interesting stuff there. Um, as I said before, before we let, we heard from him, I think probably the biggest name in club history. So hopefully you enjoyed that. And Steve. Yeah, well, as I say, we're in our second episode. We want people to kind of find us on iTunes and share it amongst their friends. Uh, you know, like and subscribe to it. Really, this is very new for us. It's uh, something that we're quite excited about. Uh, what? How do you see this podcast, Brian? I mean, what? We're going to get a few names, aren't we? To uh, you're going to chat to a few people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, if, if anyone's got any any suggestions that if people would like to hear from, then they can certainly contact me on Twitter at Brian Dick on Twitter, um, or, or via the Birmingham Live website. Uh, I mean, personally, I, I like, I really like here when when the sort of the former players open the changing room door and we can yeah. see in and we can get a little bit of uh, insight into their personalities and some some of the stories that uh, that you know would grace the after dinner circuit i'd like that i'd i'd like to speak to some of the fans as well because obviously what what we do is is a hundred percent about the fans really you know they are the people that that live breathe and and, and hurt birmingham city at times so uh we'll we'll hopefully be speaking to some some high profile and maybe not some some not so high profile supporters as well but yeah as you say really exciting um and hopefully it's it's a, it's a soapbox mm. uh, for all those people who are interested in Birmingham City and, and you and I both know well Steve we, we look at the numbers most most days there is a lot of interest about for Birmingham City in the, in in, yeah. this, in this great city of ours okay well we'll go and uh, work out what we're going to do for part three next week and uh 
join us again. But thanks for tuning in. Cheerio.